Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Good morning to you. I'm Sarah, the pastor here at Crozet United Methodist Church, and we are so glad that you are joining us for worship this Sunday. I have a few things that I want to share with you as we are beginning this time together. The first is that you can find the children's activity sheets that connect with our scripture and with our service here in the link in the text. You can also find them on our website. And today you're going to notice some new and exciting things as part of this worship presentation. We have hopefully done our, our work and our preparation with this new software. And so this time, I'm not going to be telling you the hymns that you need to go look up and find the lyrics for, because we hope that our technology will play the lyrics for you so that you can join us in singing. And you will also have the scripture text. So we're excited to reveal this with you. We've been working hard on this for about a couple weeks now, and hopefully it'll provide some better audio and you'll be able to see some of the things on our slides and have some enhanced engagement. And we're real excited about that. And that's from the hard work of our dedicated staff and volunteers, and we're so grateful for them continuing to perfect this as we are in isolation yet connected through this means of worship. So uh, hopefully you'll hang with us as we continue to work through some of those details and go on to perfection liturgically. And the last thing is that as we are rolling out this new worship um, online system that we're using. We're looking for some used iPhones, iPhone 6 or newer, that has to run the iOS 13 operating system to use as a video camera. So we have two different video cameras right now. We'd like to have one more because um, we're Trinitarians and we'd like to have three of everything. So we would like to have an extra one in order to provide just some other angles and some close-ups on things, and you'll be seeing some of that today. So if you have one that you would like to donate, we would joyfully receive that from you, and you can certainly send us uh, a direct message, a private message. You can email us or you can call us, and we would love to receive that from you. So without further delay, we're actually going to begin our worship with our opening hymn. It's number 362 in the United Methodist Hymnal, Nothing But the Blood.
you. Hopefully you got to enjoy that. That's a perfect hymn, as I set up for children's time, that explains that it is Christ's atoning death on the cross that gives us all the grace that we need. We can't earn it. We can't work our sin off. Instead, we freely accept this incredible gift that God has given for us, willing to take on our punishment that we might be set free. So that's why that's such a great hymn. So we have been in the beginnings of a worship series based upon this book by C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you've been reading along or if you've had the opportunity to watch, some people have told me that they got to watch the animated film and there's one from I think the early 80s uh, that I love so much that I've been re-watching and there's uh, newer ones from the early 2000s and there's lots of opportunities to see it and encounter it in um, cinematic form if you had the opportunity or of course you could read it or do both. Um, but today we're going to be talking about Turkish delight and how it is a metaphor for human sin and specifically the temptation, what it is that draws us to that. So as we're going to do children's time right now, this is an important part of the life of our church, I, want to, I wanted to break down exactly how sin works, right? So in our country, there are laws, and when we go to school or when we come to church or even in the homes that we live in, we have rules. There are guidelines for how we are supposed to live, and everywhere you go, there might be different rules. So when you go to visit some people, their rule might be no shoes in the house, and so you would take off your shoes when you get there, or maybe there are different rules at home with your parents versus when you go to see your grandparents. I know that my son enjoys vastly different rules when he goes to see his grandparents versus what you can do at my house. And so you're always trying to figure out what the rules are. And so God gives us rules for all time in all places. And when we choose to break God's rules, then that's when, when, we, that's when we commit a sin. And so some of those sins are pretty obvious, right? And um, today I'm going to show you how every sin is kind of like a block, right? It's like a brick or a block. And when you start sinning more, you start to create something, although it's not a good something. So let's say when you break one of God's rules about lying and you tell a lie, and you build a brick, right? And then let's say you get in a fight with your brother and you hit him because we're not supposed to hit each other. God doesn't like it when we do that. So there's another one. Or let's say that um, someone has put out some cookies to cool and has said, I don't want you eating any of those right now. They're for something later. And so you can't have one and you sneak a cookie. So you steal. That would be creating another sin. And sometimes we create sins when we don't do something that we should. So maybe when God asks us to help people and instead of helping people, we decide just to walk by and not help someone who's really upset and in need. So that would be a sin that we commit. Um, and of course, I'm going to do another one of the lying ones because I think people tend to lie more than anything else. So there's another lie, right? Maybe um, your parent asks you if you've brushed your teeth and you say yes, but you haven't brushed your teeth. You did it like two days ago. I've experienced that lie too. So uh, every time we commit a sin, every time we lie and we break one of God's rules, uh, we are building up this wall, this tower. And then what Jesus does is Jesus says, you have put a space between you and God, and that's not good. God wants to be with you. And so Jesus knocks it all away, that Jesus clears all of that away. Now, Jesus doesn't do what sometimes we do as people that say, now you got to clean up your mess. That's not it at all. Jesus actually eliminates the wall that we have built. And Jesus says, instead of you having to clean up the old wall, why don't you just start living a new life wall-free? No more bricks of sin, no more wall. And in that way, what I have done for you on the cross will allow you to be free and joyful in your life. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about how our sins create a wall, a separation, and God doesn't want to be separated from us. Instead, God wants us to be very close together, and that's why God gives us all these ways for us to do that, whether we're praying, which is, is like calling God and letting God call us, or whether we're reading the scriptures and reading about how God loves us and the, and the journey that God has been on with humankind. All of these are ways in which God tells us that God loves us and wants to be with us, and sin 
doesn't let that happen. It would be like cutting the phone cord or taking the battery out of your cell phone so that you couldn't get a phone call. It would be like throwing away your Bible and never getting to read the wonderful things that God has done for us and wants to do for us all of our lives. And so we want to make sure that we are not doing things that create new walls. Jesus is always happy to forgive us and break down those walls, but we don't want to keep building walls. That's a that's not what mature Christians are supposed to be doing. And as we grow up in our faith and in our bodies, we're supposed to be working not to do that. So hopefully that's a little demonstration that will help you remember what it is that sin does to us. It causes a break and a barrier. And we don't want that. We want to be able to get right up close to God and one another. And so Jesus is the one who says, nope, no more barriers, no more walls. Let's just all be together. And we are so thankful for that. So hopefully that'll help you talk about sin in a new way. And so the next thing that we're going to do is we're going to have an opportunity to hear someone who's using their gifts and their graces in order to bless us. Susan Miller is with us, and she is going to sing for us the song, I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. the opportunity to hear the scripture reading this morning, I want to invite us to take a moment and center ourselves in prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord, this has not been an easy journey. There is a newness and a change in our lives that has been deeply impactful. And while we might 
focus on the hurt and the negatives and the loss. You call us to be a people who look for opportunities to enliven our faith, to explore the goodness that we can bring about in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in the world. And we pray that wherever we are, that we will feel the presence of the Holy Spirit upon us and working within to help us to redeem this time, transform for us the way in which we look at the world and look at one another, help us to grow in your love, to bask in your grace, and to remember that we are yours, no matter what is going on in the world. Your love for us never changes. You love us with a profound love that you have poured out upon us, that we seek to graciously receive and share with others. May it be so. And may the scripture this morning help us along that holy journey. In your name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the first letter of Timothy, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. We are continuing to explore this allegory that an incredible Christian C.S. Lewis has given to the world in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in here, C.S. Lewis incredibly brings his gift of writing fiction and his faith together in order to help us to think differently about some things and help us to grasp some concepts that seem to be very esoteric and hard to pin down and conceptualize. And so one of those is in the way that he talks about the temptation of sin with a confectionery delight by the name of Turkish delight. And if you haven't had the opportunity to engage with Turkish Delight. Well, I hope that you will find a way to do that. It is a Middle Eastern sweet. It is not exactly candy as we think of in Western culture, uh, but it uses a gel. It's not like jello. It's a, it's a much more congealed gelatin, and it uses flavors that are more on the savory end of the spectrum rather than the hyper sweet. In America, we like our really sweet things. We are a people who created uh, high fructose corn syrup, but that is not the flavors that you will find in Turkish Delight. Instead, they use things like rose water or bergamot orange and lemon and pistachio. You'll find other flavors there. And so one time I decided to get some for my son. You can order it online. Uh, you can actually order it from Amazon and they can ship it to you. And we got a nice little sampler and we opened it up and I invited him to take the first piece and he was like, that is not what I expected. And he goes, you know, the way that Edmund eats it all in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I would have expected this to be much more like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And I said, no, that's, not, <laughs> that's a different flavor profile, uh, which is important because what tempts each of us to sin is different. We all have a different palate when it comes to sin. There are people that prefer to sin with their words. There are people that prefer to sin with their deeds. And it's all about the inclination we have to sinning. And so today, this Turkish delight is kind of the entryway into a world of sin for Edmund, one of the children in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And Turkish Delight comes to us from a different culture. It comes to us from the Middle East. It's believed to have its origins in either Iran, uh, which is probably true, out of the Turkish Ottoman Empire, which is how we get it. And then it, it encountered British colonialism and spread. And so people who were under the auspices of the British Empire are much more familiar with Turkish Delight than some Americans are. But when you have the opportunity to eat Turkish Delight. It comes generally in little cubes or little bundles, and you eat one, and then you think, oh, well, you know, it's kind of like a potato chip for Americans. You can't eat just one, and so you end up eating more, and so in the story, when Edmund gets an entire box of Turkish Delight and proceeds to just eat it all, 
What happens is that first taste leads him further in to consume all of it. And then if you read the story, you find out that he's having an inner monologue about, you know, I would like more. I almost want to ask her for another box because what happens for Edmund is, like most of us, the first sin is a gateway. It teaches us that, hey, I might be able to get away with this, or, you know, it wasn't as bad as people make it out to be, and then it makes it easier for you to do the same thing again and again. So as I explained a little earlier in the children's time, I kind of drew this spontaneously this morning, and what I'm sharing with you is a little diagram that again shows that every little sin with a small s is a brick. Every lie, every time we take something that's not ours and steal, every time we hurt somebody, we're dishonest, all of those continue to build a wall. And that wall is a sign of sin, the big S, which is kind of like the illness, and every little sin is the symptom. We are a sin-sick people. Humankind know what it is to sin, to follow our will, and to break God's. And so we have, over time, developed and revealed the symptoms of that. And I'm sure you know people who you can't trust a word they say. They're habitual liars. I'm sure you know people who constantly do things that are hurtful, that damage relationship, and that cause pain and suffering. And all of us, every time we do that, are building this wall and if we're adults, we could build sky-high walls. We could build walls that way eclipse the Berlin Wall or the Great Wall of China. We could build walls of sin that would not only be seen from space, but are certainly seen from heaven. And so our desire is to remove those barriers that we have created, to find a way to get past creating separation with God. God doesn't want us to be separated. So many times in Scripture, God is coming to us. And that's one of the refrains that you hear in the story that C.S. Lewis is telling about Narnia, that Aslan is coming, Aslan is on the move. And as we hear that, it's echoing that God is coming to us. Jesus says this to his apostles before he ascends. In a little while, you will no longer see me. And, but I will be with you. And he's conveying to them that he is coming back and that he doesn't leave us alone. He sends the Holy Spirit to be with us now in our days. He promises and covenants to gather with us wherever two or more are gathered in his name. We are not an abandoned, orphaned, forsaken people. Instead, we are a people who experience God a new and transformative presence so that we can continue the good work that was begun, not only in the earthly ministry of Jesus, but upon the cross, and most especially in the resurrection that we celebrate on Easter. And so when C.S. Lewis introduces this element of this Turkish delight, what's really intriguing in the story in the book is that Edmund finally finds his way through the wardrobe into Narnia, and he discovers a world of winter but never Christmas. And he gets there, and he doesn't really have a lot of time to get acclimated and situated before the sled comes down, and there is the White Witch, who prefers to go by the moniker the Queen of Narnia. And as she introduces herself, she ends up manipulating Edmund into this conversation, and she wants to lure him further into her sinfulness, and so she wants to bait him, and she says, well, what would you like to eat? And she kind of opens the world to him. What would you like? And he names the Turkish delight. A lot of times when it comes to our own sins, we name what we're going to do. We find what comes easy to us, what we're more likely to get away with, and that is the avenue of sin that we take. And some of us think that our avenue is more successful, right, in the letter to, of Timothy, it talks about how one of the ways that people often get lured into sin is thinking that money and wealth is going to make their life better. But my experience in ministry has been that money actually makes things more difficult sometimes than we would expect. And a lot of good-meaning Christians think to themselves, if I could just have enough to be comfortable, Right? If I could just have enough so that I didn't have to worry about paying bills or I didn't have to worry about whether we could afford something nice when we really wanted it, if I just had enough. But when we try to have a conversation about what is enough, <laughs> give me a figure, tell me what enough looks like, it never gets 
concrete. It never becomes something that people can really name because what happens is the more we start to acquire, the more we want more. And that's exactly what C.S. Lewis expresses so perfectly in Edmund, that he has a little bit of Turkish delight and he consumes the entire box. Just like that, in the middle of a conversation, he eats an entire box of Turkish delight. Forget the sugary coating that would be on his teeth. Forget the stomach ache that's coming later. This child consumes it all, and then the witch has him because now she knows that he is inclined to that, and she uses it against him. She says, you know what? If you do what I want, if you bring your brother and your two sisters to me in my home where they can be imprisoned, she then says, I will give you all the Turkish delight that you want. Whole rooms filled with Turkish delight. And that's all Edmund hears. He hears about the instant and the temporary sin, right? He hears about the reward that comes from that first sin, right? Oh, it tastes so good. It's great. Never mind that it's rotting out your teeth. Never mind that that is not good for your body. Never mind that nobody can exist on Turkish delight alone. Even the cultures that produced it don't live on Turkish delight. And yet he's so focused. I just want more. I can't get enough. And sin is like that for us. You know, if you sin and you get that instant gratification, then you become addicted to that. It becomes your drug, and you are willing to go further and further and further. I had the opportunity to talk to a couple of people who actually committed fraud in a church, and I had the opportunity to talk to them about how did it start? Not at this church. It didn't happen at this church. It won't happen at this church. But when I talked to people who had done this, they were people that had strong faith. They were people that were committed. And you think, well, how do you, of all people, slide into that level of sin? How does it happen? And they said, well, I had a need, and then, you know, the money was there, and I, and I, I took $100, and then I got away with it. And then the next time, a month later, that I needed more money, Took it again. But before you know it, they were taking $200, $1,000, and it just didn't stop. And that's exactly what the scriptures tell us today. It says, you know, that those who want to be rich, those, and not even rich like extravagant celebrity rich, but people who want to have enough money so that they don't have to practice good stewardship with their wealth, so that they don't have to be very thoughtful and discerning and discriminating about how they spend their wealth. People who do this, they fall into temptation and they're trapped by their desires. It leads to nothing but ruin and destruction. And you've probably heard greed is the root of all evil. Well, it's rooted here in Scripture. It's actually not greed. It's the love of money. It's coming to worship financial and material wealth. And it just leads people into evilness. And for Edmund, his love of Turkish delight, his desire to consume more and more of it, leads him down an incredible dark path. And it will actually lead him into isolation. Once his siblings all come into Narnia and enter in through the wardrobe, what ends up happening is he looks for his first opportunity to abandon them. And he sneaks off to go and meet the queen. And he finds physical separation. Our sin will actually create us into this mold of leaving the people that we love. Because it will break our relationships. And when they don't understand, why would you go and join someone who has done such horrible things, deprive people of the joy of Christmas? Why Someone who has enslaved and killed and turned people into stone. Why would you want to have anything to do with her? They don't understand because for them, the lure is not the Turkish delight. And so they struggle with that. And as adults, I think we struggle with that too. We can't understand why somebody would commit that sin because those aren't the sins that we would commit. But it's a lot easier to critique somebody else's sin than our own, which is why Jesus says, you know, forget about the speck in somebody else's eye. Focus on the log in your own. Because we don't see our sin the same way that we can see someone else's sin. And it's a lot harder, which is why God calls us into community so that other people can offer us different perspectives. You know, one of the ways that we get perspectives, so this morning um, 
I'm sure you can tell that my hair is getting longer. I am uh, frustrated by this, but today it's doing whatever it's doing. And um, what happened was I started to do my hair this morning, and then I made the mistake of taking my mirror and positioning it so I could see the back of my head. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on back here? Now I could see differently. And then I had to address what was going on in the back of my head, because now I knew it was there. And living in community gives us a 360-degree perspective. It allows people to see us from every angle. It allows people to encounter us, and maybe they see something we don't see. For instance, how many times have you been out and you had your tag sticking out, and it took somebody behind you to go, hey, your, your tag's out. Let me tuck that back in for you. Because we can't see ourselves fully, but God sees us fully. And God who wants us to continue to grow and be made perfect by God's love and embrace this incredible freedom and liberty we have through grace gives us other people to help us see what God sees so that we can address the issues, that we can revel in the good and we can celebrate the things that we do so very well. And that's why in the church, not only do we have concerns that we pray over, but we have joys. We should always be doing both. We should focus on the things that are good and right and joyful and that fill our hearts with love. But at the same time, we don't do that at the expense of not addressing the things that are wrong, the things that are causing issues, the things that haven't yet gone on to perfection, the things that continue to create division or confusion, misunderstanding, hurt, pain, and suffering. It takes all of us together to make things better. You know, and sometimes we forget about what happens when you live in community. I, I always make the cardinal mistake sometimes of getting ready in the morning and then saying to my son, do I look okay? Which is a really bad question to ask my 10-year-old child because he will tell you exactly what he thinks about what you're wearing. And fortunately today, when I asked him, I wasn't wearing anything in the color mustard. If I'm wearing anything in the color mustard, he instantly hates everything that I am wearing. He dislikes that color intensely. And so it doesn't matter how good it might look on my skin tone or what it does for my body shape. If I'm wearing mustard, I'm pretty much wearing uh, Satan spawn. And he does not like what I have on. And he tells me very, he's like, that's horrible. That's horrible. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not asking you to look at the color. I'm talking about like the fit. How's the fit? He's like, it's all, it's awful. It's all, my eyes burn, go away. And so we have to remember that we are going to hear honesty. And we actually want the honesty, don't we? In some ways, we might kid ourselves and say, no, I want somebody who will lie to me and tell me everything's fine, that, you know, I'm perfect. But the reality is that that's not true. We don't want somebody who will lie to us while the rest of the world sees something that is a hot mess. God's grace is about taking a hot mess and making a holy masterpiece perfected by grace and love. And we are on that journey. But if we continually seek to feed ourselves with the sins that instead build a wall and a barrier and create division between God and others, then we're not actually happy. Edmund finds this out when he is alone, when he has betrayed his brother and his sisters and the new friends that they have made in Narnia. And then he goes to the queen. He finds that she is not his friend, that she has been manipulating him and her hordes and her minions. They don't like him and they don't care about him. And he finds himself very alone. How many of us have that narrative as our life journey because of our sin? that our sin not only created separation with our family and our friends, but it made it so that other people actually intensely disliked, even hated us because of what we have done. And we might fall into an ever downward spiral of tragedy if it weren't for Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ says, I love you in spite of these things. I love you in spite of what you have said and done, what you haven't said and what you haven't done that I have asked you to do. And I am willing to forgive you to try again. And so as Christians, whatever we find ourselves in this journey, wherever, whenever, and however we are journeying toward the kingdom to come, there is nothing that tethers us to the past. Jesus clears that away and says, don't, don't be stuck here. Instead, come home. Come home to me. 
in a kingdom that isn't about how much you have in your bank account. It isn't about the square footage of your home. It isn't about the model, make, and year that your vehicle was produced. It isn't about the amount of things that you have or where you bought them. Instead, it's about how much I love you. And that's the glory. That's the grace. That we are not a people of this world. We are a people of the world that is to come. And there, all these things that seem to matter so much here have been washed away. And the trial for us is to try to get past them here and now so that we can truly embrace all the goodness. You know, today is day 45 of isolation for my family. We actually entered into isolation on Friday the 13th of March. How ironic. And this morning, I realized I've been keeping track of it in my calendar. And I am halfway through. If we get to June 10th, which is at the end of the Virginia governor's edict, then I am halfway through. And it has not been an easy journey. I mean, if you figure 40 days and 40 nights was how long Noah and his family were shut inside the ark, uh, I feel that pain. Um, my, hopefully my home is cleaner than the ark was after 40 days and 40 nights. But it has not been an easy journey. But there have been moments of real joy. There have been moments where uh, two of our young children here in church uh, had their mom email me and ask if we could Zoom and, and have a conversation together. And it became this whole family meeting. And, and that was really beautiful. And I got to pray with them. And that really nourished my spirit and, and helped me to feel like I am still of use to people. There have been moments where I haven't been able to connect with people. I had one of our beloved church members go into the hospital and then go into rehab, and I could not visit her for the first time since I had been appointed here, and it was really depressing. There have been people that I love and that I used to see every single week that I can't see, and I could stay there in the darkness of those moments, but I keep thinking, you know what? I am going to see them again, and when we see them again, we are going to celebrate with an incredible joy. It will be like the ark coming back into Jerusalem in the city of David. It will be like people celebrating Easter every year after the first one when they recognized how beautiful it was. It will be like the joy of children waking up on Christmas morning, that we will have that moment where we recognize all that we have missed and all that we have yearned, and look what God was able to bring forth, that we have come back together, and not just come back together to go back to our old ways, but perhaps have a new respect and a new gratitude for what we have, to look at people very differently, to realize that it is about relationship in this world, not stuff, not possessions, not the desire to acquire, for the love of stuff is contrary to the love of people. And God asks us to choose people because God doesn't choose our stuff. God chooses us every single moment of every single day. There is not one heartbeat, not one breath, not one step, not one thought that any of us have had that God has not loved us. And that is incredibly powerful to understand. That even in the midst of the suffering and the sin of Edmund, even though he fell prey and he made mistakes along the way, even though he caused pain and suffering with his family and his friends and for people that he didn't even know, even though he failed, he did not fall. He was welcomed back by the love and grace of those that loved him more then they hated his sin. And isn't that an important message for us? That we are bigger than our sins. We are a people of a bright and beautiful future, not a sinful and guilt-ridden past. We are a people who are bridging the gap between the sins we have committed and the sainthood in the kingdom to come. And the most powerful testimony we have to offer is that if we can do it, so can you. If we are able to be redeemed, if we are able to be loved into something new, if our faith and God's grace are able to bring us to a place where it isn't about what we have, but whom we can help, then that is the testimony and that is the gospel for which Jesus came and died, to bring us hope and truth so that we can live into a bright future, live into a space that is made possible by grace, 
And so as you were journeying through this time of isolation and hopefully preparing to come out on the other side, may God continue to remind you that you are not your mistakes. You are potential. You are created in the image of the embodiment of perfect love. And that all the knowledge and all the power that are the epitome of God's miraculous being have been poured out upon us so that with our power and our knowledge, we can help other people experience that grace. This is a time for us to recognize that as bad as it may seem, there are still moments of incredible goodness and grace. And in that, God shines through. And if we cling to those moments, then there is never a darkness that can overwhelm us. When we cling to the hope and the glory and the goodness in those times where we feel our spirits swelling within us, then it gives us an opportunity to help other people in their dark moments. Because by sharing the light, the light grows. But by letting the darkness consume, we never have the opportunity to show other people that there are those moments of goodness and grace in a world where darkness feels so pervasive right now, in a world that is filled with media accounts of incredible suffering and deprivation and death. We are a people who remember that even in that, there are those who are serving and loving. There are those who are finding ways to be sacrificial and to help others regain their health and their hope. May that be the legacy of this incredible time of seeming trial and tribulation. That when we come out on the other side, we can celebrate that we didn't lose all hope. We didn't lose each other. That we still have found ways to put our faith into action and to let God bless us and bless through us. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. This would be the time in our worship service that I would be encouraging you to, um, to make your offerings, to worship the Lord with your tithes and offerings, and we would be passing our baskets. And since you're not here, we are encouraging you to do the same thing. You can certainly give online. You can send in checks here to the church because the ministry hasn't stopped. As you can tell from this new worship technology that we have put in place this morning, we are continuing to work and we're not just going to rest on our laurels or think that it's good enough. We want to make this the best experience possible. And it may have taken us 45 days to get here, but I can just imagine what we can do in another 45 days. So we're going to keep working at it. Um, and sometimes there's a delay in the joy. You know, sin is about instantaneous reward. And faithfulness has sometimes a delayed rejoicing in it. And so when I came into the office to do Bible study on Thursday, I had the photocopy that I'm going to show you here. And let me explain what this is. This is a picture that was uh, printed out and sent to us in the mail in a much more manageable package, apparently, from a young woman by the name of Dominga in Belize. And so Dominga has been sponsored by this congregation here. And in Belize, free public education stops when the students conclude middle school. And Dominga was an incredible student, and she had high hopes and aspirations to continue her education. But in order to go to high school, not only did you have to test in, but you had to be able to afford to go. And Dominga could not. And so this congregation has sponsored her. She graduated from high school, which is one of the high moments in my ministerial life to be able to be there and see her do that. And she has continued on into college by the support of this congregation, especially the financial support, the selfless giving. And so she has sent us an Easter message. And because Easter is a season, not just a day, I wanted to share with you. It says, Happy Easter. Easter is a time to rejoice. Be thankful. Be assured that all is forgiven, so life extends beyond the seal of earth. I pray that God shower all of you with blessing and health. Thank you, Dominga. From your sponsored student, Dominga Shack, to Pastor Sarah and the congregation of Crozet United Methodist Church. And so this came this way. It's not easy to get large pieces of mail out right now, especially from Belize. And so they took a picture of her handwritten artwork and drawn decorations here and sent it, this picture to us. But it's good to know 
and to be reminded by Dominga that no act of selfless kindness and mercy goes unnoticed or unappreciated. And she is still deeply moved by the graciousness of this church. And your giving helps to take care of Dominga and many others like her. There have been a number of people in our family of faith that have asked about their stimulus checks. Can we donate those or what can we do? Because if we are halfway through, this is a time period where funds are running low for people and being out of work is really starting to cause hardship and distress. And so you will find on our website, if you go to our Secure Give site, that you can donate to our Benevolence Fund. And that is benevolent giving. It is second mile giving so that if you want to assure that other people when they need their utilities paid, which is one of the things that we do out of that fund here at the church, if someone calls and says, I have a bill for my rent or my mortgage or my utilities, we take those bills and we pay their creditors so that they can be liberated from that and not have to worry about it. Our Grace Grocery food mission is ramping back up again. We have worked through some of the ways that we can continue to provide food for those who are hungry because that need is rising. And so we have not forsaken that. We have been working constantly behind the scenes to make sure that when people are hungry, they can pull up here and get food. And so the ministry doesn't stop and your gifts enable us to do that because I have a feeling that this is only the beginning and that over time more needs will emerge. And wouldn't it be to the glory of God if when people had nowhere else to go, they turned to a little church here in the corner of downtown Crozet and had all of their needs met with love and humility and graciousness so that in the end, they left here going, thank you, God. That's why we do what we do here at church. And we hope that you will continue to be a part of that. So you can do all of these things. You can pray, you can give, you can share what you've experienced here. And of course, you can reach out in love and concern for those that you miss and that you want to check in with. And may all of us be knitted together through the work of the Holy Spirit at this time. I'm going to offer a prayer for those of us who are continuing to be faithful in our giving. Will you pray for me? Lord, no matter how we give our gifts to you, we rejoice that it is part of breaking the power of the love of money. That to turn over something that would be fleeting in our lives, but so deeply impactful in the lives of others, is truly a gift. May your Holy Spirit be at work through all of the tithes and the offerings and the gifts that are given for your honor and glory this day. May they become part of the work and the fabric of faith of this congregation that continues to reach out in love and concern and yearns be beyond all else to embody the words and the ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to feed the hungry, give the thirsty something to drink, to welcome the stranger, to clothe the naked, to visit the sick and the imprisoned, and above all, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. May this be accomplished, Almighty God, through your ways and in accordance with your will. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. And now we're going to have our closing hymn. It's number 365 in the United Methodist hymnal, Grace Greater Than Our Sin.
to point out to you all that in the refrain, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace belongs to God. It does not belong to me or to the church, to our bishops or to our district superintendents. It does not belong to the trustees. It belongs to God. And therefore, we do not restrict it. We freely give it as it has been freely given to us. And the last little theological thing that I, I think is so important here is that it says it is a grace that will pardon and cleanse within. There are denominations that talk about grace as uh, simply covering us. But in the United Methodist Wesleyan understanding, we believe that grace actually transforms us. It purifies us from within. We call this sanctification. So as you're going through and perhaps continuing to sing the refrain in your head today and this week, remember that grace is yours because God has given it to you. It does not need a mediator and it does not need someone to provide you with a litmus test to see whether you are deserving. It is yours. And the other thing is that grace is working on you and within you to perfect you with the same love from which that grace has come. So may this week be a time for you to experience that the theologies and the doctrines of the church that are here to empower us and show us God's love are still very much at work, even if they look, sound, and feel very different. Will you receive this blessing? You are a beloved child of God. You never outgrow that designation. You are a being of sacred worth, loved and formed in the image of God Almighty. And because of this, you will never know a day that you are not loved by God. May you never know a day that you are not loved by God's people. And may you show others that you will love them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Go forth to go back to your life in whatever state it is in, to revel in this truth and experience and share this holy grace. Go forth in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one now and forever. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.